the ball in the back of the net. At FAU, we had a saying, win or lose, we booze. So after we won an early evening game, the team headed to a local bar called Dirty Moe's, famous for its nickel beers, dollar shots, and lax policy when it came to carding. Igo wasn't on the team, but he loved sports and he came to every home game to cheer us on. And he was with me at the bar that night, drink in hand, hitting on women. The place was packed with people who had been at the game, so I didn't have to buy a drink all night. At one point in the evening, I had four drinks lined up in front of me. Cocktails, beer, shots, whatever. I drank them all. This is where things get a little hazy. I know I left the bar, stumbled drunk around midnight. I was probably feeling sick from all the alcohol, or I was worried that I was making a fool of myself in front of the ladies. It was drizzling outside. I was shithoused and looking for a quiet place to pass out. Igo's black Azuzu pickup was in the dark parking lot. Despite the rain, I climbed into the truck's bed, curled up in a ball, and fell asleep. Fourteen hours later, firemen would fish my crippled body out of a shallow canal near the freeway. My temperature was 88 degrees, and my heartbeat had slowed to 30 beats per minute. I had both pneumonia and hypothermia from being cold in the water for so many hours. But that wasn't even the bad news. My neck was broken, and it didn't seem very likely that I would ever walk let alone run, again. I've been an athlete all my life. Soccer, basketball, baseball, golf, tennis, football. You name it, I played it before the accident. Now I've become known as the guy with the goatee, shaved head, and tattoos who plays murder ball, also called quadriplegic rugby. Quad rugby for short. It's not so different from other full-contact sports, except that we go to war in these specially designed wheelchairs made from thick tube aluminum that look like something from a Mad Max movie. The object of quad rugby is to beat the shit out of the other team for four quarters while trying to get a ball across some lines and into a goal. It's a blast to play, but for me it's more than a game. It's the sport that saved my life. Growing up, sports meant everything to me, so you can imagine how I felt when it became clear that I was going to spend the rest of my life in a wheelchair. I thought I would never be able to play again, or drive a car, or have a job, a girlfriend, a house, a family of my own. You get the point. Keep in mind, I was only 18 years old when I became a quadriplegic, much more of a boy than a man. I had a lot to learn about my life at that point. I still do. Traveling all over the world, playing and promoting quad rugby, I've been asked a lot of questions about what it's like to be in a wheelchair. It probably seems like your worst nightmare come true, and at times, it is. Your mom is always warning you when you're young that if you're not careful, you'll break your neck. She was right, by the way. So what makes my story different from the stories of other disabled athletes? In some respects, there isn't much of a difference. But then again, how many quads do you know who have crowd-surfed at a Pearl Jam concert, or sung on stage with Eddie Vedder, or been skydiving, or won a Paralympic medal in Athens, or shaken hands with the President of the United States, or chugged beer with Johnny Knoxville? How many quads do you know who play a sport where they knock each other on their asses for four quarters? Better yet, how many people do you know who have done any of that stuff? In truth, my accident has been the best thing that could have ever happened to me. This past year, I was fortunate to have several articles written about me because I was one of the people featured in the documentary Murderball, which won the Audience Award at the 2005 Sundance Film Festival and was nominated for an Academy Award. The adjective that people most frequently used to describe me was fearless. I like that because it's true. I'm not trying to brag, but I am pretty fearless. But not for the reasons you think. 
Most people fear pain. I've learned that not feeling pain is much more frightening proposition than actually feeling it. In fact, there are times when I'm playing that I actually enjoy it. Here's the bottom line. At some point, life is going to give you a swift hard kick to the nuts. You can't control everything that happens to you, but you can try to understand it. For me, this has been one of the many things I've learned in this painful, beautiful, crappy, exhilarating, stupid, rewarding life that started the day I landed in this chair, which I thought was my cross to bear, but was actually my salvation. Chapter 1. Rearview Mirror It was August in Coral Springs, Florida, hot and humid beyond belief. I was heading off to my first semester at college at Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton, one of five freshmen invited to play on the school's Division I soccer team. The FAU campus was a short, 30-minute drive from Coral Springs, where I graduated from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. At the end of my senior year in high school, I was 5'9", 172 pounds, and strong for my size. I could run the 50-yard dash in 4.7 seconds and would often jog six miles home after lifting at the gym. A mile circuit around Eagle Trace took me five minutes and change to complete. Starting with my graduation in June, it had been the best summer of my life. I had done well academically despite an admitted lack of effort. I ranked 43 out of a class of around 500 at Douglas High, with a GPA of 3.8. I had excelled in math and science. My mom and dad, who have always been really cool, down-to-earth parents, let me throw a party for 20 of my friends on graduation night. We lived in a rambling, single-story ranch house in a development called Eagle Trace, complete with a screened-in swimming pool near a golf course and where my dad, my little brother Jeff, and I would play together. Mark Super Duper, the former Miami Dolphins wide receiver, one half of the famous Marx Brothers, lived on the block from us. Whitney Houston also owned a house nearby. Let's just say her place was a lot bigger than ours. My parents knew we were going to be drinking on graduation night, so instead of burying their heads in the sand, they allowed us to get loaded under their supervision, as long as everyone gave up their keys at the front door. All my buddies came to raise a glass, hang out, and celebrate this early milestone in our lives. Steve Nelson, a left-footer from my high school soccer team, who I worked with at a restaurant called Chowders. Jeff Nickel and Frank Cava, two guys I had become close with while playing football in my senior year at Douglas. And of course, Chris Igo, Douglas High's resident class clown and self-proclaimed pimp. Tall, lanky, red-haired, and coated with a shotgun blast of freckles, Igo was a polarizing force at Douglas. You either loved him or hated him. There was absolutely no middle ground. He was funny, smart, brash, and completely out of control. Igo was the type of guy who would go to a high school party steal bottles out of the parents' liquor cabinet, try to have sex with someone's girlfriend in the bathroom, start a fist fight, and then take a shit in the washing machine, which was all pretty hilarious as long as you weren't the person who had to clean up after him the next day. That summer, between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college, I was in love with more than athletics. Her name was Katie Hansen, a green-eyed brunette with tawny skin, a quiet laugh, and perfect white teeth, the type of girl who would draw a small heart to dot the I in her name when passing you a note. Katie was a year younger than me, and she was on the swim team. We had started dating my sophomore year. She would make me peanut butter and banana sandwiches and leave them in my car, so I had something to eat between football and soccer practice. While most of my friends would be out raising hell on weekends, I'd often stay home with Katie and watch a movie. After work, I would drive to Katie's house, park my car down the block, 
walk back to her house and softly knock on her window. You can imagine what we did after that. The next morning, I would sneak out of her room and hide in the garage until her parents left for work. Katie was a big reason why I chose to attend college at FAU. At one point, Duke had been on my wish list, but that seemed like too much of a long shot. My SAT scores had been pretty good, but not stellar. During senior year at Douglas, I had been a co-captain of the soccer team. My play had gotten me noticed in the local papers, and I won some awards. A few universities had recruited me, including FAU. Ultimately, FAU, which offered me an athletic scholarship and had recently moved up from Division II to Division I in sports, seemed like the best bet. It was close to home, which meant close to Katie, and it was relatively inexpensive. It didn't have the best academic reputation, but at that point, academics weren't a priority to me. I wanted to play college soccer, period. Igo, who was test smart, but had a grade point average that might as well have been in negative digits, was also thinking of enrolling at FAU in the fall. I was going to help him with calculus and chemistry. Igo, who certainly has the gift of gab, was going to help me write my English papers. Together we'll be unstoppable, Igo said. In a few weeks we're going to run this place. Just you watch. My friendship with him continued to grow once we knew that we'd be attending the same school. For all Igo's bravado and bluster, he was a pretty cool guy with a good heart and hanging out with him was always entertaining, as long as we didn't get arrested. Igo got a black Azuzu pickup truck for graduation from his father, who owns a banking software company. His dad was working overseas at the time of the ceremony and wasn't around to watch Chris walk across the stage in a cap and gown. Igo would joke that the truck was a gift of guilt. Igo's new truck was a stick. He didn't know how to drive manual transmission, so I taught him how. At the end of the summer, I asked him...